0: This is episode number 39 with Barbara Corcoran of The Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. 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 Now, The Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Centico, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amoroso, Rebecca Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast, the Founder Podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Before we start today's episode, I just want to let you know. And so much more. So, if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. Hello and welcome to the Founder Podcast. My name is Nathan Chan and I am your host coming to you live from Melbourne, Australia. Hope you've all been having a great week. It's uh, starting to get really, really rainy here in Melbourne and I really, really don't like the rain. So uh, yeah, <laughs> just staying indoors and uh, trying to avoid the rain as much as I can. What's been happening in my world, you know, it's it's funny. We talk about hustle and, and we talk about wanting it bad enough. And uh, I've been saying with you guys around my emails and uh, I had like 300 last week and I just smashed it out so hard. I use this tool called Rescue Time and I highly recommend it because it tracks all your activity on your computer and it turned out that I spent around 42 hours on my laptop last week and doing that I spent around 22 hours in Gmail and what was the result of all those hours smashing away on the keyboard? I actually, really, really hurt my wrist. So it's what my friend actually calls programmer's disease. I've never had any wrist problems before, but uh, you know that was a sign for me to take a break, I guess from from smashing it out. So this week I've had a bit of a break, and it's been awesome, actually. just been watching some really cool TV series and and taking it easy, but I've also been doing some really, really epic interviews. So not working as hard as I usually do, but I've got some epic interviews coming for you guys, and I'm so extremely excited to bring them to you. So now about today's guest, it is the one and only Barbara Corcoran from Shark Tank, and she was an absolute pleasure to speak with, guys. She shared a lot of entrepreneurial gold with us, and in fact, I even... Like I sent her a list of questions that I was going to ask and cover, and I forgot to ask one of them, and she actually pulled me up on it towards the end of this this interview, and she said, aren't you going to ask you this question, because no one's ever asked me this before, so make sure you listen to the whole interview, because I know you're going to absolutely love it. Barbara's an absolute superstar, real estate mogul, investing mogul, and there's a lot you're going to learn from her, so... That's it from me, guys. If you are enjoying the show, please do take a minute to leave us a review on the podcast. Check out the magazine. Visit our website. Visit us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. You name it. I'm going to plug myself hard because the more that we spread the word of what we're doing at Founder, the more our mission spreads and the more businesses we can create and the more game-changing things people can do to live a fulfilled life. So that's it from me, guys. Now let's jump into the show. Thank you for taking the time. And can you give us a run through of how you got your job? Oh, at Shark Tank, you mean? My my business,
1: where I built my business. Your job as an entrepreneur. Oh, well, that was my first. Well, actually, I had a couple of businesses. I had a flower of the week club when I was in college that failed miserably. It was good for a while and then failed. How did I get that job? I just invented it. Then, of course, I started a real estate company, which was a huge success, and I ran it for close to 30 years, built it and ran it. Well, I really had one other real estate company with a partner. That I ended, okay. And then I started a second real estate company. Had that for thirty years and sold it for sixty-six million. Thank God. And then I was fishing around for what to do next, and I started doing some TV work. And then I got my job on Shark Tank. I don't. Oh, actually, I saw an ad in uh, when I was in Melbourne that you're going to have Shark Tank coming on your TV sets. I think mm. soon. I saw an ad for it. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm one of the sharks on that show, of course, in the United States. Where Shark Tank got started, and we're in our sixth year. And as a result of that a particular job, if you want to call it, or gig, as I would call it, I started buying into all of these small businesses, and so I've become a partner with many entrepreneurs. And so I'm doing a lot more of what I originally did, was build businesses. Kind of went all full circle on me.
0: And I'm really curious. Like I'm a massive fan of Shark Tank, and. You do fund a lot of businesses. Are you able to give us an insight to the process you take entrepreneurs and businesses through once you fund them via Shark Tank? How do you take that business to the next level? I actually start that process
1: before I fund them because once we come off the set of Shark Tank and we've committed to a business, it usually takes a good two to sometimes three months to do due diligence on the firm. Where we're poking and poking and trying to figure out what's wrong with it, or am I going to lose money, or am I going to make money? Assuming we close on the business, which is a is great majority, unless there's something desperately wrong with them. What, I do the same thing every time. I don't even, I guess you could call it a routine. I, I didn't mean it to be a routine, but it's effective for me and it's effective for them. The first thing I do is I try to figure out what the individual entrepreneur's strengths and weaknesses are, their personality strengths and weaknesses. What are they good at? What are they bad at? And I make myself a list. How do I figure that out? A, by looking at their business through due diligence, and B, by talking to them. I talk. I see what they like, what they don't like, what turns them on. And then, very importantly, I just get a click in my head. I try to focus, hyper focusing on what do I see this business becoming? You know, what, what does it want to become? What does it want to be when it grows up? And I get the picture in my head, and I've never changed my mind. And I'm always right, if I could brag. I just get that picture based on who I have there. And I go, yep, you know what you're going to do? You're going to turn this into a franchise. Yep, you know what you're going to do? You're going to sell a license in this. You know know what you're going to do? Because you know why? It's got to suit the entrepreneur or it ain't going to go nowhere. They might have fun with it for a while, but I'm never going to make money. It's never going to get big. And in the end, it's going to lead to disappointment on everybody's side. So I really want to get quick, the big picture based on what I think their advantages and disadvantages are. And then so far as building the business day to day, I'm always trying to compensate for what they don't do well. In other words, who do you hire? Why are you hiring that guy? He's just like, you. no, no, no. You're, you need an inside guy. You're an outside guy. You need an inside guy. You need a guy who's good at this. Blah, blah. So I try to keep shoring them up, I guess, trying to make the foundation rock solid so it can support a big business and a lot of growth. Because the odd thing happens on Shark Tank that doesn't ever happen to any other new business in America from what I've seen. It gets showered overnight with notoriety. The good news to that is you get one big shot at running it up the flagpole in the The bad news to that is it tends to swell the heads of the entrepreneur. All of a sudden, they think they're geniuses. Hmm. And that's when I start the other half of what I do with these guys. I start squeezing their heads. And <laughs> no, you're not a genius. <laughs> no, you've had a good month. No, you're going to have inventory problems, you're going to have cash flow problems, you're going to have management problems, so let's get ready for it, because they really think, my God, I went from $50,000 in sales in my first year, and on track tonight, I did 700000 My God, we're rich, and I don't let them spend the money, because they all want to spend the money right away. Let's do let's hire a PR company. Let's do advertising. Let's say, no, we're not doing anything now. <laughs> We're going to build a business. So I get kind of down and dirty on all that stuff. But you know what? It's essential because it's a, it's an oddball kind of a way to build a business under the lamplight of Shark Tank and that primetime coverage. So I like to take advantage of what's good about it and definitely control what's bad about it. Most of them want to have a reality TV show. Oh, we're going to do a reality TV show. we got an offer. Like, oh, no, you're not. <laughs> Put it in your file for two
0: years from now. (laughs) I see. And I'm curious, what can our listeners and readers learn from, I guess, because not everyone can get on Shark Tank and be funded by you. What, What lessons can they learn to grow their business?
1: Well, there's something other than Shark Tank that makes money, which is the major reason why people don't go into business. not lack of dreams, but lack of money, which is called crowdfunding. And I'm going to tell you, in the last season on Shark Tank, I saw a marked difference. I would say that at least 40% of all the entrepreneurs that we met on Shark Tank already had raised a lot of money online through crowdfunding. Mm. And, and you know what? That's what every reader should know, that the game of getting investments to start a business has Shark Tank, that's kind of like the Hollywood version of crowdfunding, right? Mm. But to the everyday person. They could make a video pitch, say what they believe in, put it up online in any of those giant sites out there and raise money. I believe raising money on that is easier than any other money they'll ever get their hands on. I remember going back about a month ago, I had heard that there was a a guy who started a honey business with bees. I think he was in Vermont or Maine, up north of where we are, up in the country. He had raised over a million dollars to buy honey and bees and I'm like, how does he do that? He must really know that business. I looked at the video. He was a guy who could hardly talk English <laughs> because he was that illiterate. And he was plain looking. He had no expression. almost looked like a spoof on a, bee keep- a beekeeper. But he said, I really like bees. I really need some money to get my bees, and I'll send you the first jar real fresh honey. I thought it was laughable. He raised over a million dollars. Unbelievable. So the access to capital isn't at your local bank; it's online. But that is something that if people aren't using, they're crazy, you know. And you could educate yourself. You could go online, you could see who raises the most and watch the videos. You could watch fifty or hundred, two hundred of them, and then do your own. Is that very common in Australia right now? Yeah, yeah. Look, um, yeah, we've got we've got
0: a, a a crowdfunding platform that originated from Melbourne and it's quite popular called Posible we recently interviewed the founder of Indiegogo for a whole crowdfunding series. It's very accessible, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Don't you feel it's accessible to everybody? Mm. So I'm curious. Nobody says
1: it's your educational background.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious. What is a common problem you see in early stage startups and businesses? And what do you, what do you think is the likely fix?
1: On all of my businesses across every platform, The biggest challenge I have, and I know it doesn't sound that exciting to write about, is shipping. Shipping here, I don't know how it is, but I use extremely expensive. Outwitting the shipping system, how do you get your rates down? Because there's also, uh, concurrent with that, there's a feeling among consumers that they hate to pay for shipping. And we have many products where the shipping is more expensive than the products. So skinning that cat is a real issue. You know, how do you position it? So you come up with clever ways, like, for example, I know we just changed some of our businesses named Daisy cakes. She produces homemade cakes from her homemade kitchen, some of them now, because her business is successful, but initially she was doing a year, 30 cakes a year. But what was difficult for her she has to bake the cakes, freeze them immediately, ship them frozen, and get them expensive shipping it weighs a lot. It's frozen good, so so it's a special rate here. It needs a big box to accommodate both the cakes and the ice, the dry ice, all right? And she's got to get them there fast, which is more expensive shipping, all right? So no matter what we did, we brought the shipping down by nickels and dimes, by you know, but we really couldn't until we came up with the idea that she simply puts on her website, get an additional one more daisy cake for no additional shipping. And now two-thirds of her orders are for two cakes versus one. That made a huge difference in our business. So uh, that's a, a good example of uh, getting around shipping issues. Here, another example is I have another business that sells fresh lobster and frozen lobster, and they ship nationwide. Oh, nice. And shipping's an issue for them for the same reasons. But how they got around it is they um, they use the time card and talked about how much they were going to ship, how much they were going to sell. They're great salespeople, these two guys, and they got our largest shipping company to discount their rates almost 50% in anticipation of great quantities. The quantities never happened to the degree that they had hoped, but they got those low shipping prices. So shipping is an obstacle that every entrepreneur, young in business, has to deal with. That's one. The other big one, and of course I'm in a little unusual position with my businesses because they've aired on Shark Tank. And so getting big heads is my biggest my biggest problem and staying focused. Because once they hit primetime TV, people fall in love with them. They get job offers from all over. Why don't you do this? How about extend your line? Hey, you want to open restaurants instead? Or you want to do an addition? What about a franchise? They get hit with so many offers that are – so you went from rags to riches overnight. It's very sexy for these kids. you know. So jumping – their initial successful wagon too quick and jumping onto a bunch of wagons is always an issue trying to keep them focused. I would say those are one's very practical and one's psychological. I guess (laughs) those are the big problems that I feel like I hit on every business. Hmm, Interesting.
0: And when it comes to focus, you know, I'm curious around how do you focus with so many things going on? Do you have any tips, tactics, or strategies?
1: I certainly don't have answers. I've gotten better at it. You know, when I built my business, I had 1,000 people working for me, and I probably had 40 managers. So anything that came across my desk, I would just decide whose category it was, anything that came at me, and throw it to the very capable person. Everything was done, bang, bang, no issue, right? Now I'm in a very different business. I have a very small office. I have five people that work here. Everybody has their specialty, but I'm involved in all of it. Because I'm the TV person. You know, I can't send somebody to do Shark Tank for me. I can't send somebody to to uh, become the partner of these entrepreneurs, you know. So I could delegate uh, a lot, but I can't delegate enough. So as a result, I'm scattered. It's a very difficult thing, and I'm a hyper-focused type person. So what I have done instead on the other side, i have skinned the cat from the other side. What I do is I try to size up as quickly as I can. Who's going to really make it? Who's going to be a big hit and who's not going to be a big hit? And I would say one in four of the businesses I invest in, I feel rock solid that they're going to be a huge hit. Okay, I just have to give a little time and a little a little energy. And so those people I spend a lot of time with. The minute I sense that someone isn't one of those huge hits, I don't spend any more time with them. I say, call. You need them happy. They don't have a call. <laughs> Rarely call. And then I have a little technique I use in my office that keeps me on the straight and narrow. I frame each entrepreneur pictures of them the minute I close on them and I hang them on my wall in my office. And the minute I realize they're not going to make it, I turn them upside down. They're still on my wall, it's to, re- <laughs> it's to remind me not to spend any time on it, you know? It keeps me straight. And then I have all the time in the world to spend with my people who are very capable. And that brings up another question you didn't ask, or maybe you did, or maybe you meant to, but you're going to get the answer for it now. What's the difference between the one and four that are usually successful in everybody else? And you know what I've narrowed it down to? Their ability to mm-hmm. take a hit. Their ability to take a hit and not feel sorry for themselves. All the other ones that are hanging upside down took a hit, took a hit, and nursed their wounds. And, oh, poor me, and, oh, my, we better not try that again. Oh, blah, 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 blah. And my best entrepreneurs are the ones with the lowest IQs. They simply take a hit, get hit, and say, hey, hit me again. (laughs) They're not so smart. Hey, hit me again. (laughs) (laughs) So that's what helps me organize better. I at least know my priorities. And then the only other organizational thing I could share with you, but I bet everybody in the world does it, is I take my to-do list in the morning, which is divided into calls, follow-up, and projects, and I rate them A, B, or C. That's it. And I get rid of the A's right away, which are not usually the fun ones. But what makes an A on my to-do list is what has the best likelihood of bringing the greatest amount of success. Not what I like to do, <laughs> but with the best upside potential, and that becomes an A.
0: Mm, that's great. I'm, that's it. I want to switch gears. I'm curious around. You know, I I love watching Shark Tank, and it, it's been really inspiring for me. Are oh, you curious... watch our Shark Tank in Australia? Yeah, yeah, I've been watching it for years. You mean Shark Tank has aired in Australia? No, no, in America.
1: Oh, in America. Oh, yeah, but can you see the American Shark Tank in Melbourne on their TV? Oh, uh, yeah, just watch it online. Oh, online, I'm forgetting about that. Okay, but it's not on your network <laughs> TV yet, right? No, 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 no. Ah, uh, I see. Okay, you know why I asked that is because one other thing that was so nice about being in Australia is I only posted pictures three times, and I was there for 10 days. It was like free of oh, Shark yeah. Tank, I was anonymous. It (laughs) felt wonderful. I was really, really Um, on vacation. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So I'm shocked to hear that anybody in Australia had ever even seen Shark Tank. I felt nobody had ever heard of it, never had seen it, because everybody left me alone.
0: Yeah. That's really interesting. Um, Yeah. Well, look, I've been watching it for a very long time, and it actually kind of segues great to the next question, and that is, why don't you like investing in technology businesses?
1: It's nothing against technology businesses. Uh, there are two notes of caution there. The most important is I don't know enough about it. Okay? I think you need technical expertise. I can judge whether it makes common sense, the concept that I'm hearing on Shark sure But I can't judge whether it's going to compete and win because I don't know the marketplace well enough. I don't know what else is out there competing with it. Um, whereas when I buy into a consumer product, it's something I know. I shop, I eat, I live. And so I have that firsthand experience, all right? If someone told me, for example, that they had a new taxi app that was going to send a taxi immediately to your door whenever you wanted it, that I know. Because I use Uber and I would say, you don't have a chance in hell, I'm not investing. You know, Uber's covered that one. <laughs> But if it's not something so obvious and so well known as that, and they rarely are, okay, it's usually a splinter business or something, I can't judge it well. I don't trust myself. I very much trust myself if I know something about something. You know, I have a gut reaction, I follow it, but I don't get that same gut reaction in the technology space. However, if Mark Cuban, who sits to my right, says I'm in it, I will often jump into the deal because if he's in mean, it, he knows that space inside and out. You know, that's a little different. But no, I don't like to invest in things I don't know. You know, I've been in real estate my whole life, and I've watched people make a fortune in real estate. And I've done very well with properties. I've bought, traded, and held on to and rented out over the years. But I've watched so many people, much smarter than me, lose as much money as I've made. And you know what they forgot about? They forgot to invest in their own backyard what they knew. They went to Dallas or they heard that this market was phenomenal and off they went. These people always lost this shirt. I like to stick with my knitting and know what I know and do what I know because my chances of success are so much better.
0: When it comes to real estate, do you have any basic tips, like one thing that you would absolutely recommend besides just following your gut to hold you in good
1: stead? Are you talking about as an investor or buying a home for yourself? Those are two different hats. As an investor. Yeah, I think the best I could share, and I'm sure it's true of every country, is a restaurant that's really hip, and you have a young gay whip, ask them where it is. That's how I have discovered every <laughs> up-and-coming neighborhood in New York early, like two years early, before everybody was there. Okay? because he says, oh, yeah, 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 well, um, actually, I, I, I'm living in the South Bronx. It's you know, a pain in the ass, but I have a couple of roommates, and you know, it's, it's, we have a lot of space there. We don't pay a lot. I'm out there with a bodyguard and the driver at night within a week looking at that neighborhood because you know why? The creative community always discovers it first. Value drives people there, and once the creative community has settled in an area, you see the nightclubs at night. You won't see it during the day because everybody's working their ass off during the day. But you go there at night, you see the nightclubs a little hopping around in a ghetto area. Something's happening. I'm um, telling you, you go back to three years later, you see baby carriages and the yuppies moving in. You know? The stores follow late. You know The businesses follow late. But it's an early heads up as to what's going to pop. That's what I really believe. And I've never been let astray on that.
0: Mm, that's really interesting. So you like to follow trends or, or hit the trends no. before
1: they come? How do you make your real money if you're a real estate investor? You get in early and you ride the value wave up. So I like to be in early by following the predominantly gay community into the neighborhoods that they first move into. For example, today you can't touch Chelsea at any reason. This is part of New York that's very popular now. Okay, that was an entirely gay community, dirt cheap. Nobody wanted the West 20s. Now it's the hottest neighborhood, or one of the top three hottest neighborhoods. But it took 15 years to get there, you know? But I bought my first Chelsea building 20 years ago, you know, because of a nice gay waiter. (laughs) Where do you live? The West 20s. There's apartments in the West 20s? I thought that was a meatpacking district. No, there are apartments, really cheap space. Oh,
0: Wow. That's, yeah, that's really fascinating. I'm curious, who do you learn from? Who influences your decisions?
1: Well, the best business is my mother, I have to say, and she influences just about everything I do every day, right? And what did my mother do for a living? She raised 10 children, so she never worked outside the home. But if you had been in our house, you would have seen she ran our little tiny two-bedroom flat like a corporation. Everything had a spot, Every system had a system. She never did the same thing twice. She'd create a system for it. Every kid marched in line. Okay, she If she had been in business, she would have been a tycoon. I wouldn't have wanted to compete with her. She had that kind of organized mind, and she was also a phenomenal motivator. And boy, could she judge people. She would have each kid do what they did best, naturally. You know, She didn't arbitrate arguments. If you went to my mother with an argument with a sibling, you both got punished. She was extremely efficient. You didn't go to her anymore. You just settled your own arguments, you know. So every, I really feel like she gave me a blueprint, which I used in building my first business enormously, and I use every day with my entrepreneurs, every day with my entrepreneurs, you know. I was even um, a month ago, I had an issue in my own office where two people weren't getting along, and I thought, what would mom do? And you know what I did? I took them to my office. I said, listen, you're telling me this about her, and she's telling me this about you. I'm going to close the door. You guys work it out. you both fired. And guess what? I haven't had any arguments since. <laughs> That's what my mother would have done. It was just like you're both punished. You're both fired. There you go. Done. <laughs> Got rid of that problem. So she just had enormous people and common sense. And you know what? Business is overrated so far as having anything to do with math, numbers or money. It really has so little to do with it when you're building a business. What it has everything to do with is people smarts who you hire, Mm. what you use them for, how you motivate them, how you reward them, how you keep them vested, how you listen, you know? And so I think I really got my little Harvard MBA back when I was a kid, you know, until I was 18 and got out of the house. That's really interesting.
0: And do you have mentors now, people that you go to?
1: No, I really don't. You know what I go to? I go to my instinct. Does it feel true? Does it feel right? And when it does, I don't second guess it i just go with it because you know what the, the one real the culture here and you could speak to your own culture is that which i think frankly is a like a young america every the second time i've been to australia i've always felt like young happy america maybe i'm getting a tourist view of it perhaps but one thing oh god what was i saying what was your question i just lost my train of thought do you have a mental Of course. I was starting to say to you that there is so much emphasis today on education, which is a very good thing. But I think so many people think they can learn business, learn about it in the classroom. And there's so few people who are out in the street really learning about it. You know, you got to be in the street on your feet, thinking on your feet. It's a different kind of smarts. It's street smarts. And yet, so much of the decision-making today is weighed, it's logical, well, what's the upside? What's the downside? Let's have a look at this. Let's see what somebody thinks. And by the time you go through that whole process, the opportunity is gone. That's what I think. So I think you have to trust your natural instinct on whether you go or stay or run away and go with it. It's not a left-brain exercise to the degree that people think it is. I remember when people always used to ask me, my competitors, as I got much bigger than them and surpassed them, they used to say, well, how do you – you always seem to open your offices like right on time, early, and then the market catches up. How do you do that? And I didn't tell them because they were my competitors and not that nice. But how I did it was I would just come in on a – Sunday night from the country and count the cranes on the New York City horizon. Just count the cranes. Boom, bitty, boom. Nothing compared to the cranes in Melbourne, by the way. You've got so many more than all of Manhattan. But I would come in and count the cranes, and I would set my ad budget, and my office moves based on the head count of the cranes. That's it. It's not a financial statement, not a big analysis, but, hey, there's a lot of stuff going up. Better move forward. (laughs) That's it. (laughs) Not too fancy, but it worked. Always. And I was never surprised. Mm, wow! Yeah, yeah. That's but that you don't learn unless you're in the street learning it. You know, building a business. Yeah.
0: Mm. And was it always easy for you? Can you tell us about some some of the hard times, the struggles, the sacrifices you've had to make to get where yeah. you are today?
1: All the good stuff happens in the bad times. I don't think I ever had a great idea, anything that made a substantial difference. <laughs> It was in the bad times. You know, when things are rolling along, everything comes easy, everybody's spending money, anything you throw money at kind of works because the context is all working, right? It's not you. You could start to think you're really smart, but it's the context that's working. It's in the bad times you find out who's smart and who's not, who's clever, who can outpace it, outrun it, just, uh, you know, stay with it till it's gone, and who could think of creative solutions, right? And so I think it was in the bad times that all the – Struggle came, but with it came always the best successes. I could give you 100. Let me think early on. Probably the first thing ever was when I gave my first speech and lost my voice, and I didn't think I ever wanted to see anybody publicly again. I was so mortified. you know, It's embarrassing. Everybody does that. I didn't know that then. I was a kid. I was 22, right? But anyway, so I signed up to teach a course. At night, so I wouldn't know anybody on how to sell real estate because that was the one thing I knew how to do. And who walks into that classroom the very first night is Carrie Chiang, who is still today the number one salesperson in New York City. And she comes up to me and says, You know how much money I make? How much money do you make? And she said, 220,000 in six months. My top salesperson was earning maybe 60,000 in 12 months. I hired her out of that class by the end of the 12 weeks. All right, So that was a bad time for me personally, but look at the prize I got. I got her and her two cousins working for free moving into my office. I remember when uh, we had, I don't know if you had in Australia, we had interest rates that went to 21% in New York City and it stopped the market. We had no sales for a year and a half. I, owed, I remember I owed over 300000 which maybe doesn't sound like a lot to you, but at that time, that would be like today owing Maybe two million dollars and have no way to pay it, you know I was wow. could hardly sleep at night, and it was going on and on. I was hoping it was going to change, hoping it was going to change. but it was in that climate that there was lots of apartments that couldn't be sold, insurance companies owned them, banks owned them, developers couldn't unload them blocks and blocks of apartments, so I went to equitable insurance with. So i a huge insurance company and told them I had an idea to sell 88 apartments in an hour. They didn't believe me, but they gave me the shot. And what I did is I priced them all like big apartments, little apartments, back apartments, front apartments, west side apartments, east side apartments. I set a level price, and I told my salespeople, only invite your best friends, one maybe, one best customer, and a family member because we don't have enough to go around. It's a one-hour sale, first come, first serve. What was I really doing? I was imitating a pick of the litter with a puppy sale. You know, if you have three dogs and you have 12 people who want them, all the dogs get good really fast, all the puppies, right? And that's exactly what I do mm-hmm. with these apartments. They will sell within an hour. I made over a million dollars in an hour in the worst real estate market. So you could say that was the worst time. It sure was the worst time. I was thinking I was going out of business, but it was really also the best time, the best opportunity, you know? Couldn't have happened in a good market. Everything would have been selling, right? You know, I started after a while thinking that if something was wrong, I could probably really find a solution if it got wrong enough. You know, like waiting for the dead times, right? <laughs> it's kind of a sick view, but I started thinking there's <laughs> got to there's got to be something good coming here. This is so bad, you
0: know. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Oh, okay. This is great. Um, last question because I might we have to work towards finishing up. What can the readers and the listeners take away from your skills as an entrepreneur that that you've acquired over so many years? What what are three action items that you'd like to give?
1: Yeah, no problem. I could give you probably 10. The first one foremost on the list and more important than anything else is the ability to take a hit. And I know everybody talks about persistence and everything else, but I would... I would put it a different way. I think when I look at my phenomenal entrepreneurs and the ones that aren't doing well, it really is that my phenomenal entrepreneurs don't have that gene or they're missing the gene that lets you feel sorry for yourself. And when you're missing that gene naturally or you've learned it, however however you wound up that way, wow, is that an asset. Because while the next guy is is like, tempering his next effort because he got hit so hard or lost so much or was rejected so badly. You know, it's like a scorned lover. You know, you don't go out in the field right away and start dating right away. But a great entrepreneur is very different. He gets scorned and he figures it's got to be something better right there and he's back out. And it is a lack of intelligence of sorts, okay? And so I find that very often the kids that are worse, the worst students in school wind up being the best entrepreneurs. doesn't mean they're not smart because there's all kinds of different smart, but they're smart in that kind of way, especially if they grew up, you know, with a lot of hardship or challenges, whatever the challenges, whether they be learning disabilities, whether they be um, family challenges, uh, emotional challenges. They come out of the gate needy, very needy and accustomed to being a loser. And so they're particularly well-equipped for becoming great entrepreneurs. I really believe that. Okay? So even on Shark Tank, when I'm looking at the entrepreneurs, most of my questions, which very often aren't aired because they're too personal, I'm really trying to wire into the entrepreneur, figure out who they are. You know, because if I could get somebody who's got something to prove, I'm going to have a big business. That's as simple as that. Somebody who's coming out from the hole, coming up, and they have something to prove. And they are always the ones that take a hit better than the next guy. They just don't lay low very long. They don't have that gene of feeling sorry for themselves. So I spent too much time on that, but I do believe that if there was only one thing that somebody – would have to have to succeed in business on their own, that has to be it, all right? I would say that would be number one. What other trait? I think you have to be competitive by nature. If you're not competitive, you're not going to succeed building a business. And so I think that's an honest question you have to ask yourself. Are you competitive, Okay. I get super competitive, even on things I don't want to compete for. If I think somebody's putting me down, I'll get really competitive, Okay, But guess what? It's stupid, isn't it? It makes no sense. But my nature is to compete. So if you don't have a competitive nature, it's very hard to build a business, truly. okay. And then the third is you have to have people skills. You know what? Because it's the only raw material you'll ever really have to work with. Even if you say, no, I just need good engineers, I'm an engineer, you still have to get... Energetic engineers, creative engineers, hardworking engineers—you <laughs> know—it's not just credentials. So you really have to have a great ability to judge people and use them to their best advantage. I mean, use sounds like a bad word, but I mean to take advantage of their gifts. Yeah. Those are the top three I would say today. <laughs> <laughs> Ask me tomorrow; I'll have a different top three, but I'll definitely stay with the number one. That never wavers. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Awesome. Well, look, um, we'll wrap up there. I just wanted to say, mm-hmm. yeah, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with but me. But you didn't really ask inspiring. your first question.
1: Really no, you didn't ask your first question, which was the best one. Do you realize that? What do you value the most as an entrepreneur? Ah, oh, yes. Yes. You really want to ask, answer that, hey? Yeah. No, I thought that was the most interesting question. That's what I thought of the whole thing, okay? And nobody's ever asked it. Everything else, everybody's always asked, okay? I would say not having a boss. Not having a boss... Anyone telling me what I can and can't do, that is the joy of being an entrepreneur. And to be able to create your own world exactly like you want it, from the wallpaper on your walls to the people you surround yourself. You're 100% in control. You know how much better that is to create your own world exactly as you want it. You can only do that if you're working for yourself. You might get part of it, but you're not going to get all of it unless you work for yourself because you get to pick out everything. You're the chief architect and God of your own life. So
0: out of all the money that you've attained, that's what you value the most?
1: Of course. I could sell apples on a street corner and only afford one meal a day, but let me be in charge of my own apple cart. I've never been motivated by money. I've just been lucky enough in good times to make a lot of it and bad times to lose a lot of it. But net, net, I came out on top. But no, that's not where the joy is. The joy is to be your own creator no money can buy that it's like freedom right freedom you're totally in charge of yourself and a lot of people like to think they are but if you have to work for a living and you're not working for yourself you're really not well, that's my own attitude toward it it's not for everyone but if it's for you it's very important
0: <laughs> awesome well, look, yeah, thanks for pulling me up. You really wanted to answer that question.
1: Yeah, well, when um, I read it, I said, hey, nobody's ever asked That's a good question. Anything that's different I like, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah, awesome, awesome. Well, I've been doing my research. I had a good hard think about it. So, yeah, look, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. Pleasure. Hey, guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content